Listener Production. Being tied to a crime we didn't commit is the stuff of nightmares for many. On this day, the 30th of October 1982, Lindy Chamberlain Creighton was sentenced to life in prison. The mother still insists a dingo took her baby, but it wasn't enough to convince the jury who handed down a life sentence. Most of us will be familiar with the case of Lindy Chamberlain Creighton. In August of 1980, her daughter Azaria, just six weeks old at the time, was taken by a dingo from a campsite at Uluru. What followed was decades' worth of speculation around Lindy's involvement, a trial by the courts and media, three years spent in jail for the murder of Azaria, and finally, a conviction overturned. After fighting for her innocence for over three years, Lindy Chamberlain Creighton was released from a Northern Territory prison today, after the Royal Commission Justice cleared the Chamberlains of all guilt or responsibility. But not all wrongful convictions get overturned. Most are forgotten or they go cold. For the family and friends of those wrongfully convicted, they too remain frozen in time, without answers and their loved one. So who fights for justice when the world has moved on? Nobody who's innocent should be in prison, and we may be genuinely their last chance to get justice. Associate Professor of Criminology Dr Xanthi Mallet and her students have been taking on real cases as part of the Bridge of Hope Innocence Initiative, giving those left behind another shot at justice. It's ingrained into our society that the legal system is always right and knows exactly what it's doing, but it's a human system. It's going to make mistakes. People need to feel safe and they need to have faith that their justice system has the best interests in mind for them. Students Isabella and Ryan are working on a real case with real impacts that could see a real person released from the grips of injustice. And they do this while gaining valuable skills in the field of criminology, informing their careers for years to come. Hi, I'm Shani Wellington. I'm a Wandy Wandy and Geringer woman and I'm from the University of Newcastle. And this is The Minds Changing Lives. Hello, my name is Dr Xanthi Mallet. I'm an Associate Professor of Criminology at the University of Newcastle, based in the Law School, and I'm also the Director of the Innocence Initiative at Newcastle. Associate Professor Dr Xanthi Mallet is a world-renowned forensic anthropologist and criminologist on a quest for truth and justice. So my background is actually in forensic science. So my PhD is in forensic human identification. And as part of that, I looked at the science of identification, but also some statistics around that, and also incorporated elements of law into that. And one of the the elements of law that I looked at in depth for my PhD research was expert evidence and when that goes wrong. So that could be evidence that's being misrepresented in court, the weight of the evidence not being presented correctly to the jury, and so they weren't able to really value that evidence as part of the case correctly. And that can lead to people being wrongfully convicted when expert evidence goes wrong. So that was something that I looked at a long time ago now. I won't say how long ago, but a long time ago when I finished my PhD. And so that was always an interest of mine. I pursued the forensic science and and still work within forensic science today. But when I moved to Australia in 2012, 
I accepted a lectureship in criminology. So that's when I started to look at the behavioural sciences, not just the hard sciences. So forensic science is what we call the hard sciences. My area is based in biology. And so combining that with the behavioural science of criminology, and to me, that makes total sense because when you go to a crime scene and you're looking at how the evidence presents and why if there's a victim, they present the way they do. It's all about the interaction between those individuals in that scene and the items there. So it's the hard science and behavioural sciences coming together. How would you separate the two when you're saying this is criminology and this is forensic science? What are those key differences? Well, forensic science is forensic means pertaining to the court. So forensic science can be a whole plethora of different things. Um, for me personally, it's it relates to the human remains. So those can be bones um, when we're trying to identify a victim or age that victim, for example. Or it can be images. We Forensic anthropologists, which is my area of expertise, also look at image analysis now. So that's my particular area. But then we've got fingerprints and we've got DNA and all of the different areas. Fiber analysis. You know, there's so many different forensic evidences that are presented routinely in court. And then criminology is literally crime, and ology means the study of. So criminology is the study of crime and also encompasses victimology. So that's looking at people who are victimised at different times, why. Um, And so all of those elements together to look at why crime happens, who it happens to, who the perpetrators are, and ultimately how we can reduce those crime numbers. For those familiar with NCIS, criminology is kind of like what Jethro Gibbs does. And forensic science, well, that's Abby. Or if you're a fan of bones, well, bones is based on forensic science, specifically forensic anthropology, which is Dr Mallet's forensic specialty. Put plainly, forensics is about the evidence created by or linked to a crime. And criminology can be used to understand how and why crimes occurred. Both forensic science and criminology are vital in helping determine what happened in a criminal event. And throughout her career, Dr Mallet has provided forensic reports for both the prosecution and defence, as well as helping multiple people who have suffered a miscarriage of justice using her expertise in these fields, as she has seen the devastating impact of wrongful convictions firsthand. How do you see that impact a person and their family and their communities? Oh, it goes on and on. And, and, you know, there are cases where people have had convictions overturned. Lindy Chamberlain Creighton, for example. And people will still ask me if I think she killed her daughter, Azaria. After so long and the Chamberlains fighting for justice in that case and having her conviction overturned, and then the death certificate being changed, I think it was only 2012, to death by dingo. And people will still ask me if I think a dingo took that baby or whether I think that she was responsible. And I go, Lindy Chamberlain was no more responsible for harming his area than I was. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to let it go. So the impacts, even if it's overturned, are life-changing and they never go away. And so for somebody who is wrongfully convicted, whose conviction is never quashed, they carry that conviction of often, you know, the cases we deal with are generally murder cases. They'll carry out with them. That will affect every facet of their life forever. Mm. And that could happen to you or me. It's rare. Mostly we get it right. But for the cases where we get it wrong, yeah, the impacts are devastating for that individual and their family. And if it's a murder case, you've got to remember that the person who's responsible 
is therefore not in prison for it. In 2017, Dr Mallet established the Bachelor of Criminology at the University of Newcastle and saw an influx of students into the course. A lot of the, the students um, have an idea of what criminology is and they listen to the podcasts and they watch all the, you know, the true crime shows and they're reading the books. So they've got a good sense of a lot of what we do. But I think what's really important about Newcastle and when I set the course up in 2017, what I think really is our bedrock is that social justice. And that flows through for everything that we do from our first years right the way through to the final year placement students. It's all about engaging them with social justice issues and opening their eyes to some of those injustices because these are going to be the people who have the opportunity and the power to make changes. They come in and they've got an idea of what crime is and, and they find it all fascinating. We all find true crime fascinating. You know, there's a real you know, juggernaut, isn't there, of media around it. And so it's really about injecting the importance and humanity into it that mm. each of the cases we look at, it's not just a case, it's somebody's life and often somebody's death. And so they come in with a fascination, but hopefully they leave with that sense of humanity and passion for actually making a difference and helping those victims and survivors and their families. It's not very often recognised that our legal system can get it wrong. So it's really, it's imperative that we recognise the mistakes so that we can correct them to reduce the amount of wrongful convictions. Isabella Krebert is a third-year Bachelor of Criminology student. She started in law and social science, majoring criminology, but when classes started, she naturally gravitated towards criminology, which might have had a little something to do with her upbringing. Before you got to uni, was this kind of the first kind of interactions you'd had with the legal system? Uh, I'd done legal studies at school and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's awesome. And I'd always wanted to become a lawyer. I think I went from like wanting to be a princess to wanting to be a barrister. Naturally. Yeah. Natural progression. Yeah. <laughs> My mum was a crime reporter. So oh, wow. I'd always kind of grown up learning about crime. But yeah, I didn't really know what criminology was before coming to uni. Oh, it's in your blood. Yeah. Hanging around the court. Yeah. I was super lucky. Got to sit on my mum's desk while she wrote about the crime. Terms like criminal get thrown around a lot, but there's wrongful convictions. There's reasons why that person acted the way they did. So it's important to understand that. Like Izzy, student Ryan Crew also made the switch to criminology. I went on a bit of a roundabout journey with it all. I started off, as most people do, going into uni with whatever year 12 subject you like the most. So that was legal studies for me. So going into university, I was like, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. First semester, when I'm doing my law and I'm doing a lot of civil stuff and torts, I'm realising I really have no interest for it. Uh-oh. All of my interest <laughs> like, primarily lies in crime and why people commit crime and a lot more of the psychology and the legislation behind that. Izzy has a passion for the forensics. Whereas Ryan, he wants to enter the police force after his degree. I really want to get into uh, criminal investigations, whether that's through detectives. Really, with my criminology degree, it just gives me a really good foundation and framework. I'll still be starting at the bottom like everyone else who goes in policing, mm-hmm. got to study uh, Charles Sturt. Ideally, that'll give me really the step up through studying in that. Ryan, why do you think it is so important that everyone gets a fair go? In regards to sort of fair justice and equality in our justice system, it's very important because the, our legal system historically has had big issues in regards to how it brings out equity and equality in its legislation. 
if it's not dealing with people in a fair and just manner, we're not going to be able to have that. And that just tarnishes um, people's trust in really the their governing bodies as a whole. And people really should need to feel safe and represented and needed in regards to uh, how they will participate in the legal system. That sense of social justice you hear in Izzy and Ryan is, like Dr Mallet said, the bedrock of the criminology degree. Having previous involvement in the Bridge of Hope down in Melbourne, a charity focused on multiple different facets of social justice, Dr Mallet wanted to bring an extension of the initiative from RMIT to Newcastle. So she did. Third-year criminology students have the option to do their placement in this initiative, which Izzy and Ryan are both taking part in. And tell us a little bit about the Bridge of Hope (laughs) Innocence Initiative. The Bridge of Hope is currently being run out of the University of Newcastle, and what we do is we look at particular crimes where they may have been a miscarriage of justice, a wrongful conviction. We also look at missing persons cases. So we're currently looking at a case which is a bit out of our field at the moment, but it's where we believe that the cause of death was wrong. But essentially we look at cases where we think an error has been made. When it was my turn to do placement, I really didn't want to do the Bridge of Hope because I didn't know what it was. So I actually started my placement doing a documentary with Xanthi Mallet on the Claremont killings and I had to do that remotely. So I was reviewing the forensic evidence for that case and the leader of the Bridge of Hope, Tori Berezowski, reached out to me and said, if you're getting lonely, you can come into the facility where we're running the Bridge of Hope and there'll be other students there. So right. uh, I took her up on that opportunity and because I was there, I had to sign the waiver to say, like the confidentiality waiver. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I heard about the case, I had to get involved. The details of the case Izzy and Ryan are working on cannot be discussed for obvious reasons. But so far, the students have contributed close to a 1,000 hours reviewing and analysing a case that would otherwise be forgotten. So maybe take us through, you know, what is your role in working on a case, a real-life case? Each student is allocated a different task and the leaders, Tori and Peter, will allocate a student a task depending on their capacity and their interest. So I have a real love for forensic science So when I started back in December of 2021, I was asked to review the injuries of our decedent in the matter that we're working on at the moment, and I loved it. You're very much building frameworks. You're reading through the client's letters, Mm -hmm. so their letter um, applying to the Bridge of Hope, just listing out their brief facts of their case and why they believe a miscarriage has occurred. Very tricky stuff to get through because it's obviously from their point of view, so there's quite a lot of bias and a little bit of stuff you sort of just need to blank out of your mind and try Mm -hmm. to stay focused on track. And it's very easy when looking upon that to form your own opinion on the case. You get so focused on, oh, did they do it? Is this the correct thing? You really get into the investigation mindset when in reality that's not at all what you're here to do. Mm -hmm. You're here to identify if there has been a miscarriage regardless of what has occurred. Then you'll go through the court case. And it can be as simple as any date you find in that court case, write it down, write like a brief summary of what that date entails so we can have a massive timeline. That was our first major task, is, was establishing that timeline so we can see right even five, six years before the actual incident occurred, what's our context, who are these relationships, what, how are these people actually occurring. So we had a timeline through all the way from there 
to years after the um, incident itself. Basically, think of it like a pyramid. We've, we've got our base now. Let's work up and up the pyramid. So now we're on the second tier, specifying the case a bit more, what we're more interested in. And with me, that was the police. That, and most of that regard the incident scene as itself. How was the scene managed? What people were allowed in? How did the police act on that scene? Did that align with their legislation and operations manuals? So that's primarily what I did for the next 120 hours after that. It was such an exciting process to be able to see the way that experts reach their conclusions and how they make this assessment of a decedent. So that was really exciting. And now I've been allocated to review the expert witnesses um, and their testimonies that they made in court about our particular case. We were the first group to ever have a client for the Bridge of Hope. So beforehand, we were just making preliminary assessments of cases and then seeing if we could progress the case further. So in December of 2021, the Bridge of Hope took on its first ever client. So we're currently still working with them um, and we will be for a long time to come. I think something that the criminology faculty have done really well at the University of Newcastle is that we always had case studies that were based on actual cases. But having a client now, it's completely different to that. We get to call our client and speak to them and it really just puts things into perspective. Were you nervous? Did you, was it a call? Tell you through when you first spoke to them. The client calls us from their facility, uh, so their prison where they're being held, and it comes through with an automated voice that says, uh, this person is calling from this facility. So that was kind of daunting at first hearing that come through, you know. When you get a phone call, you usually don't hear an automated voice saying, this person is calling you from a correctional facility. We had a good half an hour, 40 minutes chat with him, basically just clarifying what we had done in the case in particular, as well as asking any questions that we sort of had any outlining knowledge on. Really, a lot of the time, clients are very happy to talk, very willing to give as much exposition about their case and their circumstances as possible. An opportunity to share their story. Most definitely. But it was really nice to get it in his words from his story mm-hmm. as he was there, and it was really... It was really humanizing for the case. I was looking at it very, very much just a professional lens, just sitting there stripping through. So it was really nice to get just a human account of what occurred from their perspective. And I find that really advantageous in the casework moving forward. It must be really easy to get lost in the data. Yeah, most definitely. I think a lot of these offenders or potential offenders or people who are mixed up in these cases, we lose the fact that they are very much just like us. There's some circumstances that have put them in these places, but there's very much still that human element to them. And it's very valuable to see that, especially as someone who wants to go into law enforcement, just having a better understanding of communication with these kind of people. um, Very valuable. And that's really interesting, that kind of realisation that it could be you or I in the same position. Was that something that went through your head? Most definitely. It's very rare opportunity and I feel that not many people in everyday life get to talk to someone who's been convicted of murder especially. So it's it's hard to perceive how you'll interact with these kind of people. But once you do and you realise that it's not a factor. I slowly forgot as we spoke to him and as he talked that he was actually a client in the case. It just seemed like someone we were interviewing like any other podcast or any other interview panel that we've ever done. This isn't just on paper. These are not just somebody witness statements we're reading about somebody's death. It's a person and they're in prison. And I think meeting that person was 
a really important step in their mental journey of realizing that this isn't just paper anymore. This isn't just something I'm reading. I'm not just regurgitating a report at the end of this to pass my course. What I do here and now could make a difference as to whether that person gets a judicial inquiry. And what is the significance of that? Because that's what's running through my mind, you know. For someone who wouldn't usually have the resourcing, that's a mountain of hands-on additional services to have the students and yourself and this initiative to be taking a look and, and helping out. Well, it's huge. I mean, I wrote a book about miscarriages of justice and what I noticed was that everyone who successfully had their case overturned, their conviction quashed, had an advocate. They had somebody fighting for them. And that may be, it could be a family member who never gave up. It could be a lawyer. It could be a journalist. But they had to have that white knight Mm -hmm. pushing from the outside because people who are incarcerated do not have the resources They don't have access to often computers. They can't access their files. Most of them don't have the financial resources to keep fighting and fighting and fighting because it's an expensive thing to do when you have lawyers involved. So it's all about access to resources. And so if we are looking at a case, it's not just mine and my colleagues' brains that are being applied to it. Like Peter Gagati, who's the manager, he is one of the most super bright and passionate people that I know. And he works with the the students day in and day out on these cases. He's got a a law master's and is super bright, but he's one person, right? And so when you're looking at these cases and you have groups of students working on them, you have dozens of little active, highly intelligent, highly motivated brains applying themselves and they're loving it. And so the amount of work that they can get through is so much more than we could get through as individuals and as pairs. And so I think it's logistically and resource-wise really useful for these individuals, but also they know somebody is actually working for their benefit. But I would caution that by saying that I always remind the students who are working on this that that we're not the judge and jury. It's not for us to decide if somebody is guilty or not. What we're looking for are inconsistencies in the case, procedural issues, something that could lead to a coronal inquest, for example. But it's not up to us to judge whether that person is guilty or not. It doesn't matter whether we like them or not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether we think that they're necessarily being entirely truthful. But it's about procedures, process, evidence. And so you have to remain totally objective, which is hard and another really important lesson for the students as they go through. We're working actually for the justice system as a mechanism of oversight because it comes back to the justice system working and that accountability within that system. A fair and impartial justice system that is held to account isn't just important for those incarcerated, but for every one of us who could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The case of Kathleen Folbig, a mother accused of killing her four children and sentenced to life in prison in 2003, is perhaps the most well-known potential case of wrongful conviction in recent time. Despite recent genetic evidence suggesting the children could have died as a result of natural causes, Kathleen remains behind bars, with all her appeals exhausted, with a new inquiry into the strength of evidence beginning in November 2022. A lot of people listening to this will go, well, come on, she's had a many bites of the cherry, does it matter? And I'll tell you what, it really matters, not only to Kathleen Folbig, 
but also to you and me. What if we were accused of a crime and decades later, we're talking 2003, she was, you know, imprisoned. So now we're almost 20 years later. There's compelling evidence, factual evidence from a group of objective scientists. You've no skin in this game. Now, if that led to the conclusion that you weren't guilty, doesn't everyone have the right to have that case reheard? And so this genuinely could be you or me. So people may not care about Kathleen Forbig. They may think she's guilty. That's their prerogative. But it does say something about the justice system if it ignores this evidence and somebody remains in prison from three murders and a manslaughter charge. Last year, I worked on uh, Kathleen Folbig's case with her lawyers. I just contributed as much as I could as a uni student. My parents carry a lethal genetic mutation, which uh, Kathleen Folbig uh, also carries a lethal genetic mutation. So just thinking about how my parents could have ended up in prison for something like that. So that really opened up my eyes to wrongful convictions. So coming onto the Bridge of Hope, I was really grateful that I had that experience behind me and it made me more passionate about wanting to help our client and the future clients that are coming through. There are many legal avenues the students can take if there's enough new evidence to warrant it. Izzy, Ryan and the rest of the students currently working on the case have made significant steps advancing their client's case. So we've just been brought up bunch new amount of information from the client through recordings, documents, emails, all different information, especially regarding lead figures in the investigation. So basically, I'm just expanding my portfolio in regards to procedure inconsistencies. And with that, hopefully adding that to our section of the coronial inquiry. So that is really our end game at the moment for the end of the year to try and get a draft form of that that can be sent off. And you mentioned a coronial inquest. Is that one of the avenues that, you know, could be a possible outcome of this case? Yep. So in terms of our client, they have really exhausted all their rights to appeal throughout the case. So this is really the only outcome we can really give them. And this is a bunch of, it's basically a, a giant document listing all the inconsistencies, just anything that's wrong with the case whatsoever to be sent to a coroner. And if they agree with the application, they will then launch their own investigation of the circumstances of the murder. And hopefully through that, we can get some sort of advancement um, towards our client. And how does that feel to be potentially changing the life for someone who is wrongfully convicted of a crime? Yeah, I do feel very accomplished in that regard. I always take pride in work that is for a bigger picture and especially representing someone else. It's really a circumstance where this person has gone through the worst stages of their life and if we're able to relieve that in some way by demonstrating that they were correct and their conviction was not just, uh, then I'm more than happy and prideful in my work for that. And people might have an idea that you're just uni students, you know, what difference can you make? Has that really changed for you? Yeah. I had the same thought when I actually began So I know that it's a client work and at best we can get a better outcome for our client, which is huge. But what is the actual impact on the legal system and society as a whole? And I was not aware of that until we did hear of a case. It wasn't with the Bridge of Hope, but it was with another placement that the university has done. It was in a case involving a shooting that occurred. And it was ruled that the shooting was procedurally sound. They were valid in their right to do so. However, there began 
issues and rumors that perhaps the officers who'd caused the shooting had been under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Because of the case that those students did through the uni, now there is legislation enacted that after any sort of shooting or discharge of firearms by police, that can occasion in the harm or death of an individual, there has to be mandatory drug and alcohol testing afterwards. So an actual case that uni students have done have directly affected legislation in regards to the field, and that really is the best outcome that we can hope for in these kind of cases. Uni students don't get enough credit. I think working with the Bridge of Hope gives criminology students an edge to get into degrees, and because it is so highly regarded, I think a lot of employees will really appreciate that. It's really shaped who I am, absolutely. It's made me a kinder, more compassionate person, more understanding. Definitely when I entered my degree doing law, I always thought, you know, like the client knows exactly what's going on, but there's so much more to that now. You really, you can't just, it's not just the client you're dealing with at the end of the day. There's more people behind it. So yeah, it's definitely shaped who I am today. Having witnessed that real world experience and seeing these students go on that journey, what difference do you see in your students when you're comparing the start to the end? Oh, it's like watching them blossom. It's amazing, actually. It's like I haven't got any biological children, but I've got thousands thousands of thousands of babies (laughs) out in the world. And I love it because they come in and they're they're fresh faced and they're young and and they think they know a lot, right? And they do about their personal experience, but they've got a lot to learn about the world. And as they go through the course, especially when they go through their placement in third year, you see such a powerful shift in their mentality. They, they go on their placement, and a lot of them think it's kind of a tick box exercise. I've got to do so many hours out mm. with a work placement host. And, you know, I just have to do that to graduate. And then they, their eyes open to what they've actually learned. And then they're all like, wow, that gave me the opportunity to take everything I've learned for the last three years and actually apply it in a real-world scenario. And I go, I know. Mm. That's why we make you do this. Mm. And yet, but until they physically do it and they have that experience, and it's like this this moment of, yeah, their eyes opening for the first time. And that's really exciting for me to see because you see them kind of grow and develop into these, these beings that are genuinely going to go and make a difference. The initiative wouldn't be possible without the collaboration between law and criminology students. Collaboration that encourages inquiring minds and broadens the scope of practice of each department. What's beautiful about the Bridge of Hope is that we have law students working with criminology students and law students are very procedural and linear in their thinking. That's not at all a criticism. It's just the way their brains work. Whereas criminology students are more holistic, they go backwards, they look at different things, like they look at victimology, they look at offender profiles. The law students don't do that. They look at pure procedure, black and white. And so what's what works really, really well is actually those two different ways of working and thinking coming together. Mm. And then they're educating each other about different aspects. And so they're learning so much from each other about an allied discipline that when they go forward into their their future careers, they can take all of that with them. And do you see it as a win-win situation that these students are getting that real-life experience as well as someone who may be incarcerated gets a second chance in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is about educating the students because they are, as I've said, the next generation who can go out there and make a difference. And the I don't want to say we're making them better people, but I think we're making them more 
educated in the problems in the world and what they can do to change those and certainly not make them worse. You know, they can go out into their careers and, and really make a difference and take all these lessons with them. So that's really important, obviously. It's an educational institution at the end of the day. But having worked with people who are in prison, who I believe may be wrongfully convicted, and their families and seeing the impacts and cold case families who have been waiting 50 years for an answer as to whom, who murdered their loved one, that's also really important to me too. People write to me all the time asking for my help, but I'm just one person. I can't do all of these things. But now through the Innocence Initiative at Newcastle, then I can filter the cases through there and we can still progress more than we would if I was working on them alone. Ryan's well on his way to make an outstanding police officer or detective with plans to apply to the New South Wales Police Force at the beginning of next year. And Izzy, well, her love of forensic science might see her follow in Dr Mallet's footsteps. If I could stay on with the Bridge of Hope forever, I absolutely would. Uh, I really love forensic science and working with Xanthi Mallet and Tori Berezowski as forensic anthropologists and the work that they do to support victims and their families is something that I really want to do. Uh, so if I could combine forensic anthropology and wrongful convictions, then I would absolutely do that. Fighting for those without a voice, the wrongfully convicted is not an easy task. But it's one Dr Xanthi Mallet, her associates and the students at the University of Newcastle do every day through the program. Nurturing that sense of social justice in students like Izzy and Ryan is an investment in the fair and equitable justice system of tomorrow, a future where no one gets left behind. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the University of Newcastle, hosted by me, Shani Wellington. Produced by Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with audio production by Kelly Fulston. Listener.